Uh, job advertisements. Uh, I know a few of you have been uh, reading job ads and applying for jobs. Uh, employers are looking for just the right person for the role. Now, I haven't worked in a real job for over 20 years, but occasionally I wonder if I would be suitable for anything else. I like sport. I found a vacancy for an events and recreation services coordinator at Centennial Park. Maybe I'd be suited to that. Then I read the requirements. Must have demonstrated extensive experience in event and leisure management, in developing and implementing viable sport recreation strategies and event plans, including researching, planning, external agencies, evaluation techniques and management of traffic sites, crowds, political, diplomatic and VIP protocols. Well, that wasn't the end of the ad, but I stopped reading after that because I figure if I didn't understand the ad, I probably can't do the job. Then I saw an ad for the Environmental Protection Agency for a noise assessments manager. And I figured, I live across the road from Ashfield Mall Loading Dock. I've got lots of experience at noise assessment. But then I read on, requirements, knowledge and experience in assessing or managing environmental noise impacts, in reviewing or developing policies or practices related to environmental management. Couldn't understand that, maybe not that one either. Uh, then I found the Inner West Council wanted an arborist, someone who trims and cuts down trees. I figured that sounds fun, I like to climb trees, can't be that hard. Uh, the successful applicant will operate an elevated working platform, tree chipper and hydraulic and petrol driven train chainsaws will have a minimum two years experience, a class MR licence is essential. Well that all sounded a bit scary and dangerous to me, uh, maybe I'm not as well qualified or uh, equipped as I thought. Maybe I'll just stick to what I'm doing. <laughs> Scary, dangerous, underqualified. Uh, they're three words I think the disciples were probably thinking as they listened to uh, these stories of Jesus, as they lived through them, as they followed Jesus. Uh, but one way of looking at Mark 9 and 10 is to see them as a job advertisement or maybe a job interview or an employment trial period. Jesus is looking for applicants for his kingdom, the kingdom of God. How well do the, do the disciples fit the role? And I guess a more relevant question for us as we're reading along is how well do we fit the kingdom of God? Are you suitable? Does your outlook, priorities and focus fit what Jesus is looking for in an applicant? We're picking up the story in chapter 9, chapter 8. It's the high point of Luke's Gospel. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And we read it and we think, yes, he's understood. Then Jesus tells the disciples that the Christ will suffer, be rejected and killed and three days later rise again. Peter and the disciples don't understand. Peter says, never, Lord. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You just don't get it. Chapter 8 finishes with the warning that anyone who follows Jesus will have to take up a cross as well. Whoever wants to save his life must lose it for Jesus and the gospel. And then all the way through chapters 9 and 10, we have Jesus explaining what that means to follow him, what it means to lose your life for Jesus, what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And again and again, the disciples misunderstand. 
one of the things that joins the, uh, these, these individual stories is that in each section you've got the disciples saying, what? I don't get it. Why are you doing this? What's going on? And again and again Jesus explains it. So if I was going to summarise, if I was going to write a job ad uh, for uh, seek.com, for the kingdom of God, here's what it might say. Wanted, citizen of the kingdom. Primary qualification is to be childlike. Kingdom kids only need apply. Must be willing to be last. Duties will include preventing people from sinning, especially little ones. Kingdom kids will be expected to throw away pride, possessions, pretensions, family, home and fields too. Working week is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No provision for holidays or sick leave. This is not a paid position. Successful applicants will, uh, must not think they can earn anything. Kingdom kids must simply accept the gracious gifts of their father. However, kingdom allowances and conditions are exceptional and the superannuation and retirement plan is out of this world. A hundred times return on investment guaranteed from home, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children or fields. Are you willing to apply? Is that a job that interests you? Now this is a question Jesus is asking the disciples here and it's a question Jesus asks of us. So let's look at this job advertisement together. Uh, chapter 9 begins, Jesus announces that people will see the kingdom of God come with power. What's he talking about? Well, uh, one meaning is he takes Peter, James and John up on the mountain to see uh, the king, the king transformed and he, he, his face and his appearance changes and he's glorious. And then verse 14, they come down from the mountain, that's where we pick up the story. The rest of the disciples are having an argument with the teachers of the law and they're surrounded by a large crowd. Uh, those of us who are teachers might uh, perhaps relate to this. You're on playground duty and uh, you walk around the corner to some back corner of the, the playground and there's two boys or sometimes two girls and they're fighting and there's a crowd around them and the crowd's going, fight, fight, fight. And you go, oh, what are we going to do here? Well, that's a bit what Jesus and the three disciples are experiencing as they come down the mountain. In verse 16, Jesus asks the obvious question, what are you arguing about? But rather than the disciples answering, I'm picturing them looking slightly sheepish, a man from the crowd calls out. A spirit has stopped his son from speaking. He's mute. A bit further down, we, realize, uh, we learn that he's deaf as well. But verse 18 describes symptoms that are a lot like epilepsy. Those are what really trouble the father. And so he brought the boy for Jesus to heal. Problem was, Jesus was up the mountain, so the disciples said, we, we can fix this. The problem was, they couldn't. Now, we don't know exactly what they were arguing with the teachers of the law about, but perhaps it was something to do with their failure to cast out the demon. Now, interesting, it's important to remember that it's only a few chapters before, in chapter 6, these same disciples actually had cast out demons. They had healed people when Jesus sent them out on a mission. And yet now, nothing. But Jesus knows exactly what's wrong. Nothing happened because the disciples weren't acting in faith. 
Verse 19, look at what he says. He's talking to the disciples, at least. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? In verse 20, he commands them to bring the boy. The spirit doesn't like that idea and he tries to harm the boy. The the boy uh, shows those symptoms like epilepsy. Uh, Verse 21, he's been doing it his whole life. Verse 22, the father's at his wit's end. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That's his request. Take pity on us, help. But it's the start of that plea that Jesus zooms in on and they're words that show that the father has the same problem as the disciples, a lack of faith. Look at verse 23, Jesus' answer, if you can, he said, everything is possible for him who believes. You see, the man thought the blockage was going to come with Jesus, whether he had the power to make it happen. But Jesus says, no, that's not where the problem's going to lie. The problem's going to lie with you. It depends on you. If you believe, then everything is possible. Now, immediately, the man responds with a great answer, a very honest one. And I think if we're honest, it's one that sums up our situation so often as well. Verse 24, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, that's just us, isn't it, every day? God, I think I believe you're in control. I think I believe that you will provide my needs. I think I believe that nothing can separate you from uh, me from your love. I think I can trust you with my child, my future, my health. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. It happened to me not so long ago. I can't remember what it was, but I'd prayed for something because that's what you do. But I guess I didn't really believe God would do it because when I realised he'd answered the prayer, I was surprised. <laughs> Whoa, wow, is it? Oh, I prayed for that. I mustn't have believed it. Help, I believe, somewhat, help my unbelief. That's us. But what's so amazing is that Jesus never expects perfect faith, a complete faith. He says in another place that he can work with faith the size of a mustard seed. And at least the Father here has at least that much faith. I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus is the ultimate, he's a microsurgeon. He can work with things so small you need a microscope to see them. Have you got faith that big? Enough to ask Jesus to step in and, 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 and help your unbelief? Now there's a prayer. Uh, pray for help with your unbelief. Well, a man has that much faith because verse 25, Jesus rebukes the spirit. It comes out of the boy and he's healed and whole. Uh, but the theme of faith continues. Uh, verse 28, the disciples ask a question. Now, now this is this theme that keeps coming up through the next uh, number of sections. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. 
which sounds like there are different types and, you know, some can come out without prayer and some can only come out with prayer, but I don't think that's what he's saying. He's basically saying, you didn't pray. That was the problem. You assumed that because you'd done it before, you could do it again without my help. You didn't express your dependence on God uh, by asking for his help. Now, we're tempted to do that, aren't we? In, in pretty much everything. Uh, we've succeeded in a particular task. We've managed to make it through this uh, drama or, or that situation or made it through that crisis. And our first reaction is, well, I can do that again. But we forget. Uh, we forget that we need God's help for everything. Jesus is saying that kingdom kids depend on their father in prayerful faith every day. That's what the kingdom is like. You can't do it on your own. Uh, when I first started teaching, I felt like I couldn't do anything on my own. Uh, but each morning, uh, the staff would meet together. I worked in a Christian school. And uh, each morning, it struck me after a while that my science coordinator, who'd been teaching for 20 years, uh, prayed every morning, help us to teach. We can't do this by ourselves. Guide our mouths, minds and hands. Without you, we're helpless. Now, he'd been teaching for 20 years. You would think that if anyone could do it by themselves, it would be this man. But no, we can't do this by ourselves. Maturity in God's kingdom isn't about becoming less dependent. It's about becoming more dependent on God, realising our lack of uh, ability, our lack of dependence. Oh, sorry, our lack of uh, independence. Kingdom kids depend on their father in prayerful faith. Are you willing to apply? Well, the next part of Jesus' job description uh, is that kingdom kids put little children first. Kingdom kids put little children first. After the healing, they travel a bit further up the road and as they walk, Jesus overhears uh, the disciples arguing, talking, they're bragging, really. I'm imagining Peter, James and John are sort of reminding the others about their inability to cast out the demon and they have a little chuckle. Or maybe they uh, just happen to be telling the other nine disciples what they'd missed out on by not being up on the mountain with them. Uh, so that night Jesus asked them, verse 33, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. They're pretty quiet through these sections. Uh, pretty, they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. It's natural, isn't it? Uh, the natural human way is to establish a pecking order. You meet someone. Uh, what do you do? Um, ministers get together. How's church going? <laughs> and, and the temptation is, oh, you know, we're going really well. Oh. Uh, we want to compare ourselves and work out where we fit. Who am I more important than? Who am I better than? Who am I more successful than? But Jesus says that whole attitude, that whole orientation is wrong. The kingdom's not about that at all. Kingdom kids put little children first. Verse 35. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all took a little child and had him stand among them. Can you imagine the child? <laughs> Jesus and the 12 disciples. Jesus says, come over, stand here in the middle of us all. 
Um, taking him in his arms, he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus is not saying it's bad to want to be first, which is interesting. If anyone wants to be first in the kingdom, it's a good thing to want to be first. But what does it look like to be first in the kingdom? It actually means to be last. It means to be at the back of the line. Uh, That person who's noticed least, that person who receives things last, they're actually first in the kingdom. You don't become first in the kingdom in the same way as you become first in the world. The way to become first is to focus on those behind you, to let them in, to welcome little ones, to build up others, to encourage the hopeless and help the helpless, to stand beside the smelly and the inappropriate and the rejects and the fringe dwellers and the awkward. That is so important, says Jesus, that when you do that, it's just like you're welcoming Jesus himself. That's what kingdom kids do. And just to let you know, Jesus is not talking only about literal children. John chooses that moment to speak. We didn't read it, but I encourage you to follow along in your Bible because it's a classic story. Jesus couldn't have picked a better example if he'd actually set John up. (laughs) Because John shows us exactly what not to do. Verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Now what's ironic here is that this person who wasn't a disciple was actually being successful at what the disciples had failed to do. The disciples couldn't cast out the demon, but he was casting out the demon. Uh, Do we get a hint as to what was successful or why he was successful? Well, he was casting out demons in your name. He was doing it by Jesus' authority, with his help and strength. And so we assume there was prayerful faith from this man, even though he wasn't one of the disciples. He was achieving where the disciples were failing. But John had said to him to stop. He wanted to sideline him, uh, cancel him, you know, his first cancel culture. There you go. Off off to the side, thank you very much. And it's like he's mentioning what he's done because he wants praise from Jesus. Well done, John. We don't want anyone who are not part of us. That's not what Jesus gives him, is it? Do not stop him, he said, verse 39. No one who's done a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. There are plenty out there who will receive the benefits of God's kingdom who we are surprised about who we think, hang on a minute, they don't have the same theology as us. Hang on a minute, they don't dress like us. They don't speak the same language as us. I think heaven might be full of people, or at least have some people in, who we are a little surprised that they make it in. By telling him to stop, Jesus says John is doing the exact opposite of what he's just said. 
not welcoming little children. John was discouraging them, putting others down to elevate himself, assuming that he was right and they were wrong. And Jesus says that even little children will make it in, those with no achievements to present. The main requirement is doing things in his name, even a cup of, giving a cup of water in Jesus' name receives a reward. Whatever is done is done in dependence on Jesus, is what he's saying, according to his values, by faith in him. No matter how insignificant your contribution, that's what kingdom kids do. We need to learn the lesson, I think. We sometimes dismiss people who don't fit into our camp, who don't pray the same way as us, or sing the same songs, or belong to our denomination. And I think it even shows itself in one-to-one interactions that we have with people. Uh, We can dismiss people and just offer our opinion. Uh, We assume that we have more to say than they have to say to us. What percentage of your conversation is you speaking rather than listening? Is it 70-30? 80-20? Uh, listening to someone says something about how much you value what they have to say and what they have to contribute uh, and how much you are welcoming those who may seem little, little uh, children to you. I'm often wonderfully surprised in situations where I assume that the encouragement or the teaching or the words are going to flow from me towards someone else that I'm visiting or helping or encouraging and, and yet... So often I'll walk away from that feeling like, oh, wow, I'm sure I'm more encouraged by them than they were by me. We put others, we put little ones first uh, when we focus on them and uh, don't assume that we have the rights or the sole rights on what is right or true or important. That's what Kingdom Kids do. Well, there's this interesting little uh, sort of double dip at children. Uh, We're going to jump over a couple of, let's be honest, fairly tricky sections at the start of chapter 10, the end of chapter 9, start of chapter 10, and uh, we return to this theme of kids in chapter 10, verse 13. And his point is is similar. Uh, The third part of this job advertisement is that kingdom kids unconditionally accept God's kingdom as a gift. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 13, uh, we read this. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The disciples haven't learned much. Uh, They're still not welcoming little children. And Jesus says... These kids are what the kingdom is all about. But now his point's going to be a little different. He's not just saying we must welcome little children. He says we must receive like little children. We must receive the kingdom like little children. So look at verse 15. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He took the children, put his hands on them and blessed them. What does it mean to receive the kingdom like a little child? Well, how how do little children receive things? They expect them. 
They don't doubt. Sometimes they're naively trusting, but kids receive. Uh, they expect to receive things. Uh, I've never met a child who, who, as dinner approaches, starts to worry and get anxious about whether Dad's going to actually feed him tonight or not. I've never met a child yet who, who gets up first thing in the morning and, and worries about whether their clothes will be ready for school or whether mum will make them lunch for the day. Kids just expect it. That's faith. It's childlike dependence. No child ever turns up to the start of the soccer season and says, oh, gee, I hope there's a parent who's willing to coach my team this year. They just expect that parents would love to be out in a freezing cold winter night twice a, twice a week to coach some uh, bunch of kids running around the soccer field. They, would, they assume adults are just as keen to coach as they are to play. Kids assume. That's trust. And Jesus says we're to be the same when it comes to the gift, gift of the kingdom. We're to accept the kingdom like children. Now, it should be an easy lesson because we don't actually have to do anything. But that's the problem, isn't it? Because adults always want to contribute. Our natural inclination is, is not to accept gifts. We, we want to return the favour. We don't want to be in someone's debt. You ever had that awkward situation at Christmas where someone buys you a gift and you didn't buy them anything? And, and there's just this feeling of, oh, got to do something. I've got to return the favour. Problem is it's Christmas Day so you rush out and maybe you find a 7-Eleven and you'll buy them anything just to be able to not be in their debt. And we can do it with God. Look, We know with our heads that we're saved by grace and, and yet we fall into a sin and we think oh I've done it again. God's going to just cut me off. I've got to do something to cancel that out. I've got to do something to finish the day well or I can't pray for that thing until I, I live a better type of day. I've failed, so I'll just wait till tomorrow, till the clock's reset and then I can pray for that thing. It's a bit like the rich man in the next section. That's what he does when it comes to his relationship to God. Uh, chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his feet, uh, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I, I think he's the, the counter to these children, these humble, uh, trusting children. What must I do? Have you ever noticed how ridiculous that is? What must I do to inherit? You receive an inheritance because you have an existing relationship with a family member, don't you? You don't earn an inheritance. It's based on an existing relationship. We don't have time to go into the whole story, but Jesus concludes with a wonderful statement. Uh, the disciples, once again, are, are stuck at the end of this little story and they're asking the question. Jesus says how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God, and the disciples go... He's a rich man. He's blessed by God. If a rich person can't make it into God's kingdom, who could make it? Who, who can? And Jesus says in verse 27, with man this is impossible. It's impossible to enter God's kingdom. But not with God. All things are possible with God. 
And we come back to the theme that we began with. We have to have childlike faith, dependence on God. The kingdom is impossible to earn, but possible with God as a gift. Accept it. Accept it as a child. Well, there's, God's, uh, there's Jesus' job description of being a kingdom kid. Uh, he doesn't promise it's going to be easy, uh, but it will be worth it. Uh, just at the end, he, he, he outlines, verse 29, he outlines some of the, uh, the, the job benefits, uh, some of the conditions that come with this job. No one who's left home, brother, sister, mother, father, children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. It's not easy, but it will be worth it. What a great job for you to be part of. Is it a role you'll apply for? Kingdom kids depend on their father in prayerful faith. Kingdom kids put children first. Kingdom kids accept the kingdom as a miraculous gift. Are you willing to apply? Luke's going to come and uh, continue or pray for us. Thanks, Luke.